If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out this July from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So wherever you buy books, audio, and video, pick it up today, pre-order, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You must learn to listen to the Rebel and the Rogue, or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. Captain's Log, Stardate 4040.7. We've run across one of the strangest examples of parallel planet development. What are we seeing? 20th century Rome? Don't move! been a long time since I've watched barbarians die in the arena. Fight, you poisoned-air freak! Your men dying, not strangers. Do you know why you're not afraid to die, Spock? You're more afraid of living. Let's go. For this evening, I was told I am your slave. Command me. This is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Docterman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And welcome to another live audio commentary of Inglorious Trexperts Briefing Room. And uh, <laughs> I'm joined by Darren Docterman, who picked this episode as our uh, latest audio commentary. This, this, this is, was of course, my this pick. This is one of my favorites. Second season, original series. Um, and it's uh, it's midnight here in Los Angeles, and uh, this is an interesting uh, thing. I I, uh, I was watching the news and 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 kind of bored and uh, uh, depressed by the state of the world, and uh, I reached out to Darren. I said, "Hey, this would be a good time to do our commentary." And much to his credit, he said, "Yeah, let's do it." Even though so, I was uh, I was almost sleeping, but yeah, that's okay because <laughs> when the, to not when the when the call comes. You must answer. And so here it is. <laughs> we should have actually done uh, the, the uh, Batman pilot because the day that we're recording this is the anniversary of the original Batman you know 66 series. I just watched it. Yeah. Oh, did you? I did. I watched it tonight. Because How was it? It's, it's just as lovely as it always was. You know, I never, I never uh, dislike uh, watching um, 
original Batman. What I always is it thought, that no man wants to have, but no man wants to lose? A lawsuit, Batman. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, my God. Well, one day maybe we'll do um, commentary on a piece of the action. And no, I'm not talking about Jojo Cracko. I'm talking about the Green Hornet and Kato That's and right. Roger C. Carmel as the villainous Colonel Gum. Well, I think that would have to be part of our uh, Super Sci-Fi 70s uh, uh, podcast that has not yet been created. Well, I think also the problem is, you know, for these audio commentaries, Star Trek's ubiquitous because it's on so many streaming platforms and a lot of our audience owns the the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Uh, Some of these other things are are harder to come by and the audio commentaries might not be as easily accessible. So... you know, uh, I said when we get to Space 1999, I think we'll be the only ones watching the video while we record them. Uh, well, hopefully, <laughs> but I'm excited. We can make it as entertaining as watching the show. Well, I was, I was excited <laughs> when, when, when you suggested doing Bread and Circuses because I think um, it's a very underrated episode. I it, it was one that I liked when I was young because I liked the action, mm-hmm. but you know, I never. I didn't love a lot of things about it. And I have to say, now I just adore it and I love it. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so um just think it's I think it's 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 a great episode. And of course, for any of us who've worked in TV, like Darren and myself, and of course uh, Ashley, um <laughs> it takes on a whole new level uh in in terms of um parroting or satirizing the frustrations of uh, dealing with the ratings and the network. And, you know, that was obviously something that when Gene, Gene Ronberry got involved and took over from Gene Kuhn, uh, the script, uh, he, he, I think he was able to exercise some demons in writing this episode. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those episodes that sort of takes the analogy uh, really close and 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 makes it almost bonk bonk on the head, but uh, it's it's fun the way it uh, the way it does it. Um, well, that's because of Hodgkin's law of planetary uh, pla- uh, yeah, parallel, planetary par- development. Parallel planetary development, absolutely. And uh, I, I, otherwise, let's shoot this one on the back lot. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that you know, given how much subsequent shows have adhered to canon in in, in the cases of many of the subsequent shows. That Hodgkin's parallel law, planet, parallel planetary evolution, uh, did never, never came back in any of the shows because, of course, it was a license to shoot on the backlot, and that was always a, a thing that the shows uh, wanted and aspired to do. I mean, I, I remember talking to Rick Berman about Next Generation, saying, "God, I, I really love the episodes where you go on location. You know, can get very claustrophobic. You shoot so much on your set. You very rarely go on location." He goes, "Yeah, it's very hard to find a 24th century building in LA." Um, and uh, but they they did a pretty good job finding pretty modern buildings. You know, as opposed to something like you know Buck Rogers, which was showing the 25th century and. Their idea of the 25th century was the Weston Bonaventure Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. Well, that's still my idea of the 25th century, so <laughs> I think it's okay. But uh, yeah. yeah, this is a this is a fun one, and uh, we get to go uh, on location for a couple days, and uh, we get to go into new sets and and new sound stages, and uh, some fun uh, guest stars as well. Well, and even the Batcave. Even the Batcave, correct? Yes. Oh, how how perfect! So it on ties that in. It ties in to today. So why don't we uh, why don't we uh, press the button 
And, Let's do it. And, Let's uh, do it. Get us in the pod. Cream, as we say in Star Trek land. All right. So uh, if for you folks following at home, uh, hopefully you've paused it on the first uh, frame of the episode. And with me on three, two, one, and press. We have this beautiful establishing shot of the great USS Enterprise. And if you look closely, you can see a wire going down on the... Uh, uh, on the starboard side of the uh, nacelle pylon. Well, you know, I, I love the way the nacelles rotate, and, and, and it really seems like there's a lot of energy pulsing. How was that effect done, Darren? Well, you know, it's rather simple, actually. There's this, there's a couple of nested domes inside the, uh, inside the nacelle tips, and there's just a, basically, a, uh, a, the inner dome has, a, has pinwheel, markings on it, just uh, basically lines converging on the center, and it spins. It's on a motor, and it spins. And the funny thing is that for years, people were wondering, how fast does it spin? Is it slow? Is it fast? And sometimes it looks slow, and sometimes it looks fast. And that all depends on the frame rate that they're shooting the uh, ship at the time, Mm -hmm. because there's blur, and you have... uh, you know, multiple uh, uh, exposures. Optical printer passes, yeah. Uh, yeah, all that. And, and uh, you know, so it became a very uh, uh, strange thing. But the the inner, the inside of it is a, a bunch of busted mirrors and Christmas lights that are blinking. And it's, uh, it's really magical for how simple that it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know... Um, you most always see the the um, view screen uh, sort of isolated because it's a burn-in right. on uh, a blue screen. Um, so we only look at it, you know, basically when we're trying to illustrate what we're seeing. Uh, and that's why you're seeing mostly reverses onto everybody. And it's interesting. This must have been one of the weeks that uh, uh, George Takei was not around. He was probably out uh, shooting... Uh, uh, Green Beret. Green well, Beret. Well, the second season, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I think that's uh, who is that lieutenant sitting in for him? Is that Hadley? No, it's the Indian uh, Singh. It's uh, Lieutenant Where? Singh, I believe. Is it okay? I haven't. I At haven't least he seen was the, in the, uh, uh, the helm <laughs> in yet. the in the back view. Um, but uh, you know, we see this uh, this very Earth-like planet, and uh, he says the the land masses and the uh, and the ocean. Uh, Percentage is exactly that of Earth, and they, uh, you know, it's uh, according to Hodgkin's law of parallel development. And this is literally actually the same building that um, on the Paramount lot, uh, Paramount office building. I think it was either casting or it was an administrative building that uh, they used for the chancellery in uh, Patterns of Force. Right, and also the high school in the Brady Bunch. That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. That is absolutely correct. That was the high school in the Brady Bunch as well. There's that big sort of quad in front of it. Yeah. So it's good because you get the camera back away from the building. Um, and, and I'm sure, as I did, you know, you, you know, it's always fun to go when you're on the Paramount lot, you know, to visit these places. You know, one of the things about the 23rd century, any science fiction show, even though static is long a thing of the past uh, in digital media, uh, you always keep that when you're doing these shows because otherwise there's no frame of reference for people to understand an image breaking up, 
you know, and and so it's like it's it's really funny how no matter how futuristic the show is, you you generally tend to have you know static in 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 um, in viewers and optical. And well, plus the the Roman planet was at the state of development of you know mid sixties television, so it was uh, it was explainable from that uh, aspect. <laughs> and now we go into uh, the credits, which of course this is one of the most uh, iconic and well known TV themes of all time. And I really miss you know now uh, most TV uh, shows only have a card. They have it at least on, on network TV or yeah. because they don't want you to change the channel. Anything that's depending on and ratings. If you, if you notice, that was the uh, that was the pilot enterprise, the uh, the twelve uh, uh, foot, well like eleven and cage. a half foot pilot cage ep- enterprise with the uh, with the spires Points. on the domes. Yeah, which they never changed. They never it's reshot more pointy. it. Pointy. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, now you just get a title card and, and the days of the great theme songs and great credit sequences are long gone. And even on something like Netflix, where, the, the, you know, like Sabrina has a fantastic credit sequence, they have to skip credits. So, yeah. you know, you, you, a lot of people don't even see these credit sequences. Now, here we are. Uh, here we are at Bronson Caves uh, in uh, Los Angeles. Home of the Bad Cave and many, many other shows, including many episodes of Star Trek. Yeah. But hardly more practical, Captain. This is not not far from. Um, if you go up, uh, what's the street uh, past the? Um, it's Bronson. You go straight <laughs> yeah, up, Bronson. right, right, straight up Bronson. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Written by Gene Roddenberry and Gene Alcoon, but mostly Gene Alcoon. Our and our old friend Ralph Sinensky. Again, this was his first yeah. episode, right? No, it was. No, his no, this wasn't. Uh, no, it was third episode because he. Oh, had done, that's right. Um, that's right. That's right. He did. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, this side, uh, this side of paradise, first, yeah, and then metamorphosis, and then this, and and you know he has mixed feelings about this episode because he said on many occasions that, um, you know he he didn't like that he didn't have enough time to do the fighting, right? You know, so he felt that the fight scene suffered, but it's not about the fighting. This episode is not about the fighting. Say like, this is not Gladiator. R- Russell Crowe is not going to show up and fight lions. <laughs> but you know what I love you. You, you could tell that this is a Gene Coon episode because of the banter. Yeah. Because, you know, all this great Spock-McCoy banter is, you know, something that you really find almost exclusively in the Gene Kuhn scripts. Dorothy also, and Ger- David, Gerald, but, you know, this is something that uh, you find a lot less in Gene Roddenberry's episodes. He tended to play things a lot more straight. And you, you'll notice before that when you saw uh, Nimoy handling the tricorder, he really knew how to sell it. He knew how to show the interesting side of the tricorder to the audience. Because uh, uh-huh. obviously, if you're using a tricorder, you you probably want to look at the screen. But no, that's not how Nimoy did it. Nimoy turned uh-huh. the screen toward us so that we could see something more interesting than a black background. Yeah, it's an expression with actors find the lens so that, yeah. you know, they know. And in this case, you know, uh, Leonard always knew how to find the lens for his propage and things like that. Um, uh, now here's you know, the here's the famous meme that has uh, Richard Simmons in it. That that shot has uh, on on the internet has uh, developed uh, a cutout of Richard Simmons in it peeking into the side. And, <laughs> and of course, the 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 green tunic famously uh, was provide you know uh, would show up at this point in the season uh, because it, it proved to be slimming. And one of the problems that that, that Bill had was. That he worked so many days, he couldn't really go to the gym, and you stress eat, and he tended to put on weight as the, he would show up really lean and mean and fit at the beginning of the season, start to put on weight as the season went on. 
And uh, inevitable. well, it was a it was a a, a nice uh, side benefit of it. Of course, it was uh, developed for the enemy within to delineate a bad Kirk and good Kirk. Yes, that's right. So you you could tell which one was the evil one and which one was the good one. Right. I've always loved these sweatshirts that the slaves wear. You I made one. I, I made several. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. there's so much fun because it's so simple, and mm. what a what a lovely bit of graphic design uh, of just the chain on there, just to mm -hmm. just to delineate the slaves, and it's it's you know sort of a Madison Avenue uh, slave logo that uh, is <laughs> just very very subtle and very cool. What's funny is it's basically you know fleece and sweats, uh, you know, but uh, it, it really works. It doesn't feel cheap, yeah. you know, at all. Um, it, it, you know, again, William Ware Tice uh, uh, just had such a good sense of of what worked and what didn't. Of course, we'll see that later. Uh, uh, you know, the distaff uh, version of this in, in terms of uh, you know throwing Captain Kirk a few curves. Now this is Ian Wolfe, of Ian course, Wolf, who also Ian played Mister Atos in the third season. And just a wonderful character actor, you know, late in his career, um, who, who's great in both episodes. He, he's, you know, I, I, All Our Yesterday is not one of my favorite episodes, but he's great. And that has a great conceit in it, which we've talked about it before. But uh, he's really good this episode. May the blessings of the sun be upon you. Now, of course, Flavius is played by, uh, is that Rhodes Reason? I believe it's Rhodes Reason, because his brother, Rex Reason, was the lead in This Island Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they look alike. They, they you, look. They look very familial resemblance. Yeah. Some six years ago, they wore clothing similar to ours. Have you heard of such men? I mean, this is such a great message too, because you know, here it's a guy who like killed, you know, in the arena, who is violent and 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 uh, uh, you know, and then he 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 basically becomes a pacifist. Right. Right. I can prove we're telling the truth. And this is a lot of location shooting. It's no wonder you know things you know, got bogged down because of course when you're dealing with the sun and where the sun is and shadows and <laughs> blessings uh, of know, the sun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was no blessing to shoot when you're out on location this long and you don't have a lot of um you know cover because the sun is constantly moving. It's changing the light on your actors' faces because and the shadows as, and as you may or may not know, shooting outside is extremely difficult on film. Uh, for close-ups like this, they either have to get into natural shade or they have to put up uh, a uh, a diffuser over everybody so that the harsh sunlight isn't, you know, glaring on people's eyes and, and making uh, their skin overexposed. Um, as you can see, there's a big uh, swath of shadow behind them and they're backlit by probably 10Ks at this point. Yep. But it's because really the camera is constantly moving the bounce boards. You're constantly yeah. moving your lights. All that you light know, on the side of the hill there is bounce boards bouncing the sunlight onto the uh, edge of the uh, of the mountain there. They dwell in caves not far from a large city. Where rags. Now this, uh, I believe, would be the cave set on set. Yeah, they didn't actually go into maybe the, uh, maybe though. I, this might yeah, I, this might I, be I on location because sure. those rocks look really real to me. Mm. I think this may be on location. You know, you might in, this might be at in the, the cave, cave opening. Yeah, it almost looks like Video Village there. You know, <laughs> which is the same location that they had for the interior of uh, Ruhr Pente in Star Trek Six. Mm. 
they shot it at exactly the yeah, same Yeah, I think you may be right. They yeah. may have actually shot in the cave rather yeah. than the cave set. Well, you know how we'll know if you look at the floor, you can tell. Yeah. Because that's the giveaway on like Devil in the Dark. Yep. You know, it's a very flat, very surface, flat, which is shiny floor. Yeah. You can dolly on it. You know, you don't want to build a rough cave floor like you normally would have in a real cave. You can lay track and everything. Here's the, I'm trying to get. Oh, there's the there's the ground. It looks yeah. like a real cave. Does I, it yeah, look I like think that? it's the real thing. Yeah, yeah. That and then uh, you know you're 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 graphic designer. I th I think some of the graphic design for this episode is great. Between oh my god, know, that the ad is so great. The Jupiter Eight. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's a Dean Jeffries car. That's a uh, I forget what the name of it was, but there were um, uh, there were set shots of Shatner with it. And and we've we've talked about this on the on the show before. It's always a great episode where they're looking for a missing vessel. Right. You know, there's always these missing ships that they have to go find. And this is no exception to the rule. They go looking for the Beagle or find the Beagle. And um and of course um it's not a starship, it's a merchant ship. Right. But uh it's uh it's a very those different episodes. kind of vessel. Very different kind of <laughs> commander. <laughs> Mericus? <laughs> Our first citizen? Uh, I'm looking at the ground again, and now I'm like, uh, no, that, that's real. I know, everybody's like, wow, this is really fascinating commentary. They spent 10 minutes deciding whether or not it was a real cave or not. You know what? After all these years, I think that the joy of discovering that this was not a stage set is worthwhile. I know, that's why we're Trek archaeologists. <laughs> Trekeologists? Forget Trek experts, we're, we're Trekeologists. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Look at that, look at that. Shatner's Anybody. so freaking good even when he's saying nothing. Well, I was, uh, you know, it's funny, when we made Free Enterprise, you know, when we did Free Enterprise, that was the thing I think that most impressed me about Shatner. You know, it was the first movie I produced, and I was amazed at how he always understood where the camera was, where the lens was, where his light was. Mm -hmm. he, he was technically so freaking proficient and, yeah. and just... I mean, you know, that's what people forget about people who've been doing this for a long time. Uh, you know, especially, you know, if somebody comes from the theater, it's a whole different thing. But, you know, Bill had been doing TV and movies for, for so long. And he's so, you know, just brilliant about knowing exactly where his light is and where his camera is. And that's why the camera just loves him. Yeah. Yeah. And even when he's doing his reaction shots, he's always listening. You can, you can see him listening. Well, the thing that people don't realize is that Bill took this show very, very seriously. And that's the only way to make science fiction work. Yeah. You have to believe it. You have to take it seriously. And I think that's why, you know, uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy are, are, are so beloved because they all took the work very seriously. Even though they had a lot of fun, they, they took the show very seriously in terms of their characters and their motivations. And I think that's why they up. Oh, and this is a great shot. Yeah, I love this low angle shot looking up at them with the sun. You know, and it's total misdirect. It's such a great misdirect. Right. Oh, they, you know, the, oh, yeah, they, they worship the sun. the sun. You know, yeah, sure. Which makes sense. 
I mean, I would have never, you know, it's almost like a Twilight Zone twist. Right. It's like, it's not the sun up in the sky. It's the son of God. Oh, yes. Which, you know, <laughs> for a show that is pretty secular, you know, that doesn't yeah. really believe in religion, it's very interesting that, you know, Roddenberry would have this kind of idea that, you know, Christ existed on Hodgkin's world of right. solitary. Seven years, I was the most successful gladiator. Yeah, he's the more blue collar Rex Reason. You know, you yeah. can tell Rex Reason was the scientist in Wood Worlds Collide. Right. Right. No, the silence is when, when worlds collide. Right. And uh, and then he, he's much more blue collar. Yeah, a little bit. He's a little more, uh, he has a bigger edge. For me to believe, I was trained to fight. He was trained to fight. He was uh, the top gladiator. <laughs> America's top, top gladiator. America's top gladiator, exactly. And, uh, you know, and of course, we'll see shortly, there's a ton of, you know, sort of, I mean, this is an interesting look too. This THX one one three eight look, which you wouldn't really expect for Gladiator Planet yeah. uh, with the motorcycle helmets and well, everything. It, but when you do get there, it updates you see, it so well. It it really does. Um, but then you find that they have, um, you know, a, a lot of this uh, set dressing and Gladiator stuff. You know, Paramount did a ton of Gladiator movies, you know, sure. especially Cecil D. DeMille was under contract there. Cecil B. DeMille, so you had stuff from Sign of the Cross and Ten Commandments. You know. From 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 a lot of um, Paramount's uh, uh, you know immense prop and co wardrobe uh, libraries, which most of which they later either threw out or auctioned off. Now we did a uh, we did a, a new voyages uh, episode that uh, has never been released because it was never finished because unfortunately the director passed away. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but it was a sequel to Bread and Circuses. It was called, uh, oh, of course, now my mind goes. But anyway, it was a sequel, and I got to play the uh, the pro council. By the way, that's MIT. Yes. Um, and, and that's that they, the, uh, that's yeah, that's MIT right there. Yeah, it's MI MIT right here, yeah. Um, but we got all these costumes. We got all these costumes from Western Costume. The original mm. uh, police outfits, and so. Oh really? Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. And the helmets and everything, and uh, the uh, the lion uh, insignia on the front of the helmets is actually uh, the same as what was on some Elvis outfits in the sixties. <laughs> it's hilarious. This is a great bit, bit of dialogue. Don't you want to tell him? You know, if we are a yeah. friend, if don't we are you friends, you and you don't tell him. You know, it's just the the level of 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 writing on this show. You know, some people, you know, to their lack of credit, uh, can't get past the '60s production values. But if you just listen to the dialogue, the, the show um, fires on such a high level of uh, writing. I think you know that's one of the reasons why I like it so much because we, when we were younger, didn't have VCRs, and you know, like we've talked about dozens of times before, I recorded them on mm -hmm. first reel-to-reel -reel tape and then uh, cassette. And I listened to them over and over again. So right. I was not distracted by the quote-unquote uh, production values. I just listened to the dialogue. Um, and I think that made it uh, more real to me for some reason. But isn't it what Nick Meyer said about Star Trek being a radio show? That's why I think we could listen to it on yeah. cassette all those many times. And because the dialogue was so rich and it wasn't, 
you know, was it about the visuals as much as it was about the dialogue? Now the yeah. visuals are, you know, are great. Um, but, uh, you know, you could totally, and I think that's why we all know the music. It can hum so much yeah, of the music absolutely. and why, you know, it, it's just because we, we've we listened to it so many times and committed it to memory. And this episode has so many good uh, bits of banter between Spock and McCoy and a particularly good scene later on when Kirk is absent. Uh, well, th this is why I'm such a huge fan of Gene Coons. I just, I feel his wit and his um, sparkling dialogue and his banter and, you know, just his his thoughts about the human condition. Because, again, we talked about this, a guy who served in Vietnam and in World War II, and he had a lot to say, and he, you know, had really lived through the horrors of war, and he was over it. And, um, you know, he, like Gene, I think he believed, not in the perfectibility of man, but he believed that humanity would be better, could mm -hmm. be better. Right. One of our many uh, times being locked in a jail. I, 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 I'd be curious how many times, we, you know, the the, the, uh, the landing party got incarcerated in a, in, a, in a jail cell. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the walls we've seen, you know, before. I mean, I think those may be the cat's paw. I think you're um, right. Yeah. You know, um, cat's flats. paw and uh, and. Uh, um, could could go back of mercy. to man trap. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, but he'll double over before we get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even this, he's always finding a great way to, you know, get the jump on, on to uh, trick on, the stupid police. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You're a stupid policeman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and somebody should make a supercut of. All the reaction shots to getting the Vulcan neck pinch yeah. from Spock, because there's some great um, responses. Uh, this is William Smithers, who is a great character actor, and of course, next to him as the proconsul Logan Ramsay. Logan Ramsay is so eating the scenery with the plum, and he is so great. And they're both great. They're both, they're great. both great. But I the, mean, the two of them together. With Ramsey, you know, poking at uh, Merrick mm -hmm. and, and and sort of goading him uh, and uh, you know teasing him because he's a, a shitty captain. <laughs> and I have to say this: I know you hate when I bring up politics, and this isn't even to be mean. This is just, but it's like Trump and Pence. I mean, you know, just in terms of the analogy, you know, he's having so much fun sort of poking him, and Smithers just sort of sits there and takes it, you know, because he has to. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, Proconsul Claudius Marcus is way smarter than Trump. Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that, obviously. <laughs> um, and then here we are. This is another great set, you know, where yeah. they just brought in these these wild columns um, to sell the whole Romanness of it all. And then you yeah. see the great Jenny Gerald Finnerman, um, you know, these splashes of purple. Splashes of purple. Yeah, it's great. <sighs> You've come a great it. distance indeed, Captain. I, I, I love his his uh, mid-Atlantic accent here. It's oh, so, I do too. It's so fun. And, uh, you know, you, you sort of expect, uh, uh, you know, you, you sort of expect the Gordon's Fisherman to come out. And uh, it's it's really, it's really sort of, uh, sort of places it in a completely alien area. 
Well, you know, it's so funny, Darren. We were watching, uh, you know, for the holidays, we always watch a bunch of Christmas holiday movies and um, with the kids. And and this year, you know, we always try and, so, you know, we, we'll do the usual perennials and then also introduce them to a few new movies. This year, one of the movies we, we added was Scrooged. So mm. suddenly, I didn't I didn't remember. Logan Ramsey comes on as one of the guys in the shelter where Karen Allen works, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah. I understand? I was like, I couldn't believe it because, of course, he's so much older. Yeah. But I was just like, oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> it's Claudius Boxerus. Now, for for those of you who like the uh, you know. Uh, uh, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. Logan Ramsay was married to Anne Ramsay, who played the mother in Throw Mama from the Train. And you could see because um, even 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 though you know they were married, but they have the same look. Even it's so it's, <laughs> I guess opposite Stoner Truck. But Anne Ramsay looks like him. Yeah, she looks like a Mack truck. Yeah, you know. I mean, she, you remember she was um, uh, um, not only in Throw Mama from a Train, she was also um, oh god. Uh, uh, one of the in in the Goonies, she's in the, oh, she's one of the, the mother right. in the Goonies. Right. Um, you know, Logan Ramsay was also in The Winds of War, which right. um, is an ABC miniseries made by Paramount. You'll recognize a lot of Paramount stuff as Nazi Germany again. But I love that miniseries uh, so so much. Um, oh, and, and and you know, for fans of this podcast, you may appreciate the fact that Logan Ramsay was also in an episode of Darkroom. Ah, uh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's like six degrees of dark room on this podcast. And of course, whenever I see William Smithers, I just think of Jeff Bond. I mean, he he, he reminds me exactly of Jeff Bond. I can. Was he, I can oh, well, he was. He dies in this. But I was saying, was he going to play him in the in the episode? But no, I, I would not. have loved to have that happen, but uh, yeah. unfortunately. Oh, plus he played McCoy, Jeff Bond. I right. think so. He did later. You know, yeah, he was also uh, Logan Ramsey was also in an episode of the original Battlestar Galactica. So. His, he had his sci-fi bona fides, as they say. <laughs> um, but he was, again, a character actor. You would have seen him in a ton of things in the 70s. Oh, yeah. You know, you know Charlie's Angels, Policewoman, all the usual suspects, SWAT. Um, but never better, I think, than he was in Fred Circus. No, cause, never. Because he, he has just so much um, so much meat to chew on in this episode. Yeah. He, he is the perfect foil for Kirk because he's definitely in charge and knows how to deal with uh, you know, strong, uh, strong men and strong women. Well, I think Gene Kuhn must have really liked him because he hired him again for It Takes a Thief. Mm. And usually, you can tell when a producer likes an actor because they, um, you know, they use them again. You know, you, you never hire anybody you don't like. Um, and uh, and and I think Desilu liked him too because he was in a bunch of episodes of Mission Impossible, and also Bob Jossman used him, and then came Bronson. Yeah. So um, you know, obviously he was he was good to work with. But I, I think that that. Um, that's the scene where he turns to Shatner and gives him the this, this slave girl Drusilla for the night. It's one of the great scenes, you know. I, I you know, he said he's basically gonna, you know, kill uh, Kirk the next day, and he says, "But I thought you should spend your last night as a man." You yeah. know, it's like it's just well, the 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 mutual respect that they have is is really fun because well, you know, the whole it, yeah, it's it's like there's no villains, only adversaries like we talked about before, because he's just doing what his society is, you know, is set up for. Scotty, if you have a fix... And it's great because he really has met his match, Kirk. You know, like, here he anticipates what, you know, yeah. Kirk's going to try and do. And then, you know, Kirk's reaction where he's, like, totally nonplussed about the whole thing. 
he doesn't let him see him sweat. It's right. just, it's such a great game of wits. Yeah. I mean, this whole scene has been going on now for a good six, seven minutes, right? But well, it never it's gets a, boring. It's a James Bond setup, is what mm-hmm. it is. You know, it's a James Bond villain and uh, and James Bond is is matched to him. So it's the it's the joy of seeing our hero uh face these uh these struggles with uh humor. Yeah. I believe you all swear you die before And it's so great that he's at disadvantage because we've all seen them trying to be stealthy, you know, because of prime directive and they can't let any but it's great because, you know, of the pro council already knows all this. Yeah. He yeah. knows who they are, he knows what their rules are. It's such a great spin on the usual, uh, you know, episode right. where they can't talk about where they're from and who they are. <laughs> he teases them with the prime directive. It's oh, so great. You can't do anything. What are you going to do? Oh, my and it's God, interesting Dick. that Spock and McCoy are just sitting back watching this happen. Sorry to keep you waiting. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that kind of sucked because, you know, basically you're there for a couple of reaction shots and this scene probably took half a day to shoot and it's basically, you know, uh, just really, you know, Shatner and Ramsey going at it yes. and, you know, basically Leonard and D are just sitting back and drinking the wine. Although that probably means it was probably a quarter day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I bet you that neither Logan Ramsey or Shatner did more than maybe two takes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Shatner doesn't like to do a lot of takes. And he's usually he usually nails it by the second take. Yeah. Unless you're directed by Nick Meyer, then it takes 30 to wear him down. Well, and that's the famous story that Nick tells. You know, it's like he just gets to the point where he's sick of doing it. And, and here then, again, know, he throws it away. Here again, Scotty isn't sitting in the chair. Now, I wonder if that's something that Sinetsky did. Because it might I'd very well be. Other episodes to, because I think in the other episodes with other directors, he is sitting in the chair. I don't think it's Jimmy's choice. I think it's the blocking it from Sinetsky. It may very well be. Because it's more interesting visually to have him standing. Absolutely, absolutely. And his physicality is much better. I just hate that he jettisoned the pod when he put his elbow <laughs> on the control. Poor Ben Finney. Died again. I think they might have rewired that after that little uh, incident. Yeah, yeah. God, I got to tell you, it's it's so funny. I remember, good. I was good friends with one of the producers of the Star Trek 2009 movie, and they sh- showed me all these designs for the bridge that were actually done in the style of the original series. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so good. Yeah, it was so good. Such a missed opportunity. We bring you name the winner. Now, this is Bart LaRue. This is the yeah. little guy who was the voice of the Guardian of Forever. Yeah, he doesn't have the heft of the Guardian of Forever here. No. That's not to see him. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, dare but you? <laughs> it's so great to have. No, it's so great. And, you know, this was tough because this was an expensive show because there's a lot of location. But this is all, so much of this, is, it's all stuff from the uh, Paramount uh, 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 prop, you know, prop warehouse yeah. of this, uh, you know. I mean, and, yeah, that, and bits, that, it even bits had and that pieces. bits and pieces. They couldn't even do the whole soundstage. They just didn't have the money yeah. or the time. So, and it works. It all works. Yeah. That's what's great. I mean, here's it's a scaffolding, you yeah. know? Yeah. It, and a couple of curtains. 
look there, you can see a bunch of plywood, exactly. and you're actually seeing the, the light, actual you know, light set were, lighting. Yeah, yeah, so brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it's so smart. And I, you know, I guess for a lot of people, thinking, oh, okay, is it? But it's like, no, you know, anybody who's who's worked in in TV is like, I mean, this is just so ingenious. Now on the uh, on the new voyages episode, we also had those shields, and we definitely oh, had McCoy's awesome. McCoy's blue one, and it was the uh-huh. real one, and we checked it with the frame grabs, and it was the exact one. That is so cool, <laughs> man! I would love to see that footage, man. That sounds cool. Um, I remember seeing the pictures of you as uh, the pro counsel, and yeah. that was that was that was the thing to see. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, it was fun, and that's all it should be. And, um, you know, again, this is something Ralph Sinensky has been very critical of, but I don't feel that the show really lived or died by these fight scenes. I think it's quite effective. No, because the, I mean, the, the fun thing is they're fighting on a soundstage, and it, it, well, should, it should be restricted like this. That's and the, then you have... You know uh, the uh, the cheers and the the laughter. You know, we, at the time, you know, half of TV shows had laugh tracks. Right. So I mean, this is just you know terrific uh, a statement about television. And it makes sense that you know Spock and McCoy were not trained to fight like this, so it it shouldn't be flashy and well done. It should be clunky, and you know, obviously Flavius is holding back because he doesn't want to kill McCoy. Uh, and 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 McCoy is completely awful at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great line. You <laughs> We're know. gonna do a special on you. <laughs> I mean, you can really just sense the venom that Gene is putting on the page here. You know, he <laughs> at this point he just hated the network. He hated the notes. He you know he hated the executives. I mean, yeah, anybody who's listened to him speak or has read you know him writing about he he was not a fan of NBC and. I think all his disdain for them really comes across in this episode. It's different when it's your men. So great. I mean, look at the reaction shot. You can see him trying not to show, yeah. uh, you know, how, how worried he is. A thousand years in enslaving them, using them, killing them by true Captain Kirk. The games have always strengthened us. Death becomes a familiar pattern. We don't fear it as you do. <laughs> Turn up the booze. Oh, turning up the booze. I mean, just great. And I mean, in a way, you look, this is before network. This is before, I'm not saying that this is like this great uh, meditation on the television, but I mean, you know, the satires of, of TV, I mean, you, you had things like Face in the Crowd, but you didn't have a, you, you, this was pretty audacious, you know? Yeah, and this is you know this is this is before reality television on scripted TV. Star Trek even kind of presaged that. Forms of entertainment oh, so great. That make this look like a folk dance. I love that line. Yeah, and then he calls him out on it. Yeah. You're a very good liar, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Select men to die before, so that others could be 
I love this. He was a spaceship captain. And this is part of what creates this incredible rich canon that we love so much. Yeah. He was a spaceship captain. Throw it. No, no, not a spaceship. He's a starship captain. And that has a certain set of responsibilities. Yeah. It takes the universe of Star Trek so seriously. And I think that's something that we and other you know fans respond to and why we hate to see it shit on sometimes. Yeah, this now, is some really nice stuff. No doubt Spock's learned to fight like this on Vulcan. Absolutely. During the using the Lerpa and the Amun. With his sister. This is great. I mean the banter between them and the arena, you know, I mean it's just so great. <laughs> I you know, I never noticed that African American with the handheld camera yeah. off in the corner. Get that. Could that could that. that be the uh, assistant director? It could be. Uh, it could be Jimmy, not Jimmy. Um, no, uh, oh God, what was his name? Um, ugh. Yeah, we're getting old, dude. We used to have this stuff on the tip of our tongue. <laughs> Washburn, wasn't Washburn, it? it was yeah. Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy, Billy Washburn. Billy Washburn. Washburn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> save it. There you go. So yeah, it could. Be, I, I bet it was Billy Washburn. I bet it was. He could see the set from there and what's going on. He yep. could direct the extras because, of course, the AD has to direct the extras. Because the DGA director is not allowed to direct actors who don't have lines. Right. Your opinion, Captain Kirk. You'd like me to kill them now? See, this is the stuff. This is why this episode sings to me. It came out last night and it sang to me. (laughs) (laughs) The dialogue is so good. You know who I think really, I think, helped um, convince me to reassess this episode? It was about 20 years ago. Alan Spencer. Mm. He was the one who really championed this episode as being like this, you know, because he, he, he was the one who told me about that book, uh, Martian Wouldn't Say That, which is about all these awful studio notes. Right. At the time, he was wrestling with dopey studio notes on a pilot he was shooting. Right. And he re- he really convinced me to take another look at this. And I, it's sort of what I went through much earlier in life with The Taste of Armageddon, which was an episode I didn't love. Right. And then I sort of fell in love with it in college. And it was sort of bread and circuses later. I, it was an episode I didn't love, but I fell in love with it. You know, probably, you know, in the 90s. Right. When I was 12. <laughs> um, now, here we have oh, uh, so coming great. up the lovely Lois Jewell, who plays Drusilla. And here is a classic William Wear Tights outfit. Like something you tried to throw on and missed. <laughs> as he famously said. And Lois Jewell is, is is great. She has this great sultry voice, and um, it's such a great moment. Yeah. Because you know, it's like it's so many so many people would be like, you know, you feel like they're sleazy taking him up on this. Like, no, no, no. I mean, you know, you're basically a concubine, right? <laughs> but she, Kirk does it, and you don't feel like he's a sleaze at all. He's just such a gentleman. Well, he's he's you know availing himself of the uh, uh, of the culture. I know. I love it. His first, he thinks it's like yeah. uh, they're, they're, they got something up their sleeve. I'm not cooperating. I'm but look at how this is lit. I yeah, mean, it's, just it's gorgeous. gorgeous. Oh, I never noticed that either. The the, the chain on the back. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> so that's what I say. It's like you can watch these episodes. This is probably maybe the hundredth time. Yeah. I've seen this episode. And conservatively, and I'm still seeing things I never noticed before. And here's Spock's trying to mind meld with the lock, and it's not working. But that, 
that was one of the great things. Because, you know, when I first started seeing these shows, I saw them in black and white. Then I saw them in color, mm-hmm. you know, in the 19-inch. And then you saw, um, then, you know, I saw them on tape and they didn't have that kind of then DVD. Then I started to watch it on the big screen, on Blu-ray. And, you know, it's just like, you, you just keep seeing new, divining new things. Well, the Blu-rays are such a revelation in quality. Oh, um, gorgeous. They, they went from the original negatives and it looks brand new. It looks yeah, it absolutely really beautiful. The best it ever looked. It never looked this good on television. No, not even close. I, I you know, and I'm hoping that they, they uh, do them in 4K because this is a show which actually will look benefit because they're shot on film. Yeah. It'll look good in 4K. You know, a lot of shows, there's no point mastering in 4K. Right. But this is a show that would actually benefit from that. But of course, there's other business in 4K to be taken care of first. Indeed. I'm trying to thank you. <laughs> this is <laughs> crazy. Now, this is often where this scene was often cut in syndication, right. by, if I recall. But um, uh, it's a great, it's it's a great scene. However, Doctor, you must remember that I'm entirely motivated by logic. Loss of our ship's surgeon, whatever I may think. He's salty. God, and you know what? You know, I I don't often look at social media, but um, occasionally I'll come across a comment, and somebody was saying about the original series, "Oh, you know, have you ever watched and seen how mean, um, uh, how how mean uh, Doctor McCoy is to Spock? It's really offensive." And it's like, "Oh my God!" They, uh, I mean, it's like they're just missing the whole point. It's like. Oh, it's like, really? Is that what it's come to now? Well, you know, did they, these guys are expressing their affection and their love for each other by being mean to each other. Yeah. I, I know that's such a horrible, a, a crazy concept. I guess it's a toxic masculinity thing. Well, but McCoy does this because he's trying to stir up the human half. Exactly. Exactly. He's trying to, 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 to get a rise he's out of him. He's trying to awaken him. Yeah, the sleeper is awakened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, and you know, we always said it's like the difference between Pulaski being mean to Data was Data was a child, so right. it was very, you know, uh, inappropriate. Whereas, you know, Spock, if anyone could take it, it's Spock. Have a great, <laughs> so have a great, great. Captain. Yeah, yeah. It's like shooting the whole thing in the two shot here in the medium, and it's like. Let's get more coverage on this. This is a strange society. I, I, I wonder if you think this is torture. <laughs> I've been in some strange worlds, strange customs. <laughs> this is considered torture here. <laughs> I do not understand. You know, I have to say, this episode has more like great lines, you know, per 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 minute than virtually any episode. Yeah. You'll be the first to know. <laughs> Oh, you'll be the first to know. Oh, my God. And then this great tilt up yeah. to light. This is, you know. Tilt, and to, the, the tilt to the oil lamp and oh, it's going down. Out. <laughs> so there's no ambiguity as to yeah. what happened. And um, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> so far on this planet, we've kept you rather busy. I don't wonder you slept through the afternoon. I mean, it's so funny. His 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 crew is in jeopardy and everything, and he's 
just so tired. He slept yeah. through the afternoon. Yeah. Was it my pretty Drusilla by any chance? Let's see if he has it. Not yeah. I would have punished her. <laughs> I would have blamed you. You're a Roman, Kirk, or you should have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, for a consul. I am sorry. I was now we uh, we can see in this scene after having seen the the episode you know many times before that this is the beginning of uh, uh, of Merrick's turn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, you, the the missing communicator first, and yeah. then of course the dismissiveness uh, towards uh, Merrickus. Yeah, yeah. The thoughts of man to man couldn't possibly interest you. What a what a burn. A total emasculation. Yeah. You know, and you know, now now he has Kirk, it's like he doesn't need um he doesn't need uh, Merrick to Merrick play around with. anymore. Yeah. I appreciate that. That defiance is intolerable. Of course. But I've learned to respect you. I promise you, you will die. A, a quick death. Yeah. I, I love this episode. You know, this is a good pick, Darren. I mean, even here, we're sitting here talking talking through it, and I, we're just watching it. I'm thinking, this is so much fun. Yeah. Can't get enough of it. See, this is... Star Trek is fun. It's supposed Star to Trek be fun. fun. But, you know, now people want fun. things to be dour and dark and, and depressing and cynical and... Fatalistic I hate and, like, and dark. I, you know, if if it's dark, I want to at least be having fun, uh, as as <laughs> as our crew is, you know, on the edge of being destroyed. <laughs> I mean, that is so great. Nothing is crude as television. I mean, it's so meta. It's great. <laughs> but I mean, sh nobody was doing this. You don't. No. I mean, people don't understand. No, it's 1968. Engineer Scott reporting. Boy, and what a year this was. The things that were going on in the world. I mean, <laughs> could you imagine? I mean, right now we're in the midst of craziness, right? I mean, you know, you turn on the news and everything that's going on. and and But think about what it was like 1968. Oh, yeah. You, know, you Robert ain't Kennedy seen Martin Luther King assassinated. These you know, days like that. The, you know, the Olympics, you know. Um, uh, yeah, just, the real the world really was falling apart back then, and and people were realizing it. But it's it's at those times when you need, you know, when you need smart and uh, you know edgy entertainment like this. I mean, the amount of you know it's just it's just incredible, and it, it, it and it was so fashionable to be cynical about the future. I mean, you could understand why, given everything that was going on in the world in '68. Yeah. And yet, you know, Star Trek was a rebuff to that. It said, yeah, things will get better. We'll survive this. That's what we need now. I love this line coming up. Oh, the best. What happened, Jeff? What did they do to you, Captain? They threw me a few curves. No time to <laughs> and, and, and the Shatner delivery of they threw me a few curves yeah. is so on it's the just money. It's throwaway, but it's so well. Yeah, of course, you know, we missed the, the shot uh, from the blooper reel where the policemen ran in and one of them slid on the floor and fell over. Yeah, the Keystone Cops. Yeah. And even this, a little of this goes a long way. This is great, as opposed to Day of the Dove where, you know, they're sword fighting for, you know, right. 20 minutes. Look at him. Oh. I think even then, he can't help but be, you know, his last heroic act. 
yeah. is inspired by Kirk to be yep. a better man, yep. you know? Yep, yep, yep. And 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 throwing him the communicator. I love this. He throws him the communicator and they beam away just in time before the wall before is, you know, riddled with bullets. Yeah. Riddle me this, Batman. Uh, so great. And this music. <laughs> Look at, you know, the pro council. He's just like dangling his dagger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so oh, great. I so think he good. had a little bit of a man crush on Kirk. Well, sure. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Despite enormous temptation, he never sat in my chair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to give Scotty credit. That was pretty smart. Not to sit in his chair and to have the blackout. Yeah. Oh, look at this set. So great. Captain, I see on your report Flavius was killed. I, I am sorry. Love that big sun worshiper. Huge sun worshiper. <laughs> oh, sorry, I stand corrected. <laughs> more closely. It seems illogical for a sun worshiper to develop a philosophy of total brotherhood. Uhura knows, Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Uhura knows the secret. I'm afraid you have it all wrong, Mister Spock. I, 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 I do think this is a great twist. Yeah, I, I, you know. The Empire spokesman trying to ridicule their religion, but he couldn't. understand and again all this bridge stuff was shot in a day mm -hmm. Caesar and Christ they had them both and Christ they had them both <laughs> <laughs> only now philosophy of total love and total brotherhood that will replace their imperial Rome but it will happen in their 20th century. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, I, this is something else I missed from Star Trek. I missed the tags. Yeah. You know, I love the original Star Trek tags. You the know, wrap up. You got to wrap, wrap up, up the story. so great. You know, and then on to the next adventure, yeah. you know, which is always great. And it always left you hungering for the next, yeah. the next episode. Oh, yeah, you're right about uh, Sing. Yeah. Yeah, so we're getting to the end of the Gene Coon, you know, episode. Well, this is the next. This is the next to the last episode of the second season, and remember, yeah, uh, yeah. after this was Assignment Earth, which was the final. Yeah, well, John episode. Meredith Lucas had actually was on the set of this. Exactly. And I remember. I guess it was in Inside Star Trek where um, he talks about he he realized there was tension on the set because when uh, him and Gene Ronbray showed up. Shatner ran the other way, right? And that was his first glimpse into the the uh, the relationships on set. I used to love watching the stills from other episodes and trying to mm -hmm. figure out where they were from. Right. And what's so interesting too about the stills, of course, is none of them are actual stills from the episodes because they're 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 from scenes that were you filmed but weren't used. I mean, not that, that the scenes weren't used, but it's like right uh, that that those actual frames weren't weren't actually used. Well, there you so go. So that is bread and circuses. What a fantastic pick! That was more entertaining than I even imagined. I I, I really enjoyed I that. It. I love it, and it's uh, it's so much fun. Um, and you know, this is the quintessential Star Trek episode to me. Uh, we go and visit a strange 
New World. Uh, New World, yeah. And and we we go to a society that is that is almost upside down, but is is you know similar to Earth in so many ways. And we find the differences, and we find the problems, and uh, we either solve them or get the heck out of there somehow. Well, that's what's interesting. This episode, we get the heck out. We yeah. don't solve it. Yeah, the, the world continues. Rome, you know, continues, and the gladiator games continue. They don't. They don't fix that planet. Well, they you know? and 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 they shouldn't. The the mm-hmm. problem was that the uh, you know. That uh, crew of the Beagle, Merrick's, yeah, the the Beagle uh, crew was missing, and they had to find out the mystery to that, and they did. And you know, as soon as Merrick is dead, they have no more uh, responsibility there. Good thing they didn't leave a book about the Chicago mobs of the twenties. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a great episode. It was a great pick. Uh, I'm I'm really glad that we. Uh, that we did this, and I'm really enjoying these uh, Star Trek briefing rooms. It's a great chance to like rewatch the episodes and enjoy them and learn a little something too. Well, it's a chance to go back and uh, and rediscover why we like it. Yeah, and we got some great episodes coming up from uh, a lot more Star Trek series and great episodes and re- some fun guests, and uh, it's going to be good. Trust yeah. us. Yeah, uh, trust trust us exactly. So uh, we hope you enjoy this latest installment of the briefing room. Um, and we hope you'll join us next Friday for an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. On behalf of Darren and myself, we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Please, if you like this, uh, go on uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, rate us five stars to let other fans know that this is a show worth listening to or that they might get something out of. Uh, of course, special thanks to our sound engineer, the great Bill Ritter, our producer, Dally Miscali, and our production coordinators, uh, Peter Holmstrom and Zach Raggetts. Uh, we'll be back next Friday at 10 p.m. with an all-new episode of Inglorious Trexperts. But until then, the briefing room is closed. Screen off. That's pure deuteronium. It's the hardest <laughs> substance known to man. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Scott, what you were the you just told us. About an hour ago, bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.